0: Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revive Podcast. We're excited you're here. This podcast will include our Sunday morning Sunday School class, our worship night teachings, and an occasional fun interviews. I'm excited to share with you this week's episode. Hey, well, good morning, y'all. How are y'all doing? Okay, that was really weak. Good morning. How are we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in the house of the Lord this morning, so we are excited to be here. Yeah, and I know y'all might be a little tired. It's the end of the semester. I understand. But we're going to be excited this morning because we're going to open the Word of God. Um, This weekend is really uh, unique uh, for a couple of different reasons. Um, So it's the start of dead week, so who's ready to be done with school Glory, yeah, I know. <laughs> y'all got two weeks left and I'm cheering y'all on. When well, technically one, I guess, but you have finals week, so I don't know. Um, so that's unique. That's really exciting. We can be excited about that that school's almost over and summer's about to start. Um another reason that this weekend is unique is the Lord is using our like revive team um just in a really, really cool way. So if y'all don't know, um, John, Reese, and Jeremiah got to go to New York this last weekend, and um, whoop, whoop, yeah, um, and get to, they got to teach a youth camp. So John got to teach um, the students there, and Jeremiah and Reese got to lead students there as well. And then we had IF gathering this weekend. What, my ladies that went, raise your hand. All right, yeah, it was a party. Uh, Melina got to teach on Friday evening, and she popped off. It was incredible. Um, And so she got to teach this uh, last weekend, and then I get the joy of being up here with you guys this weekend um, teaching Sunday school. And so it's just really sweet to see the Lord use us in the different spaces um, and get to teach the Word of God to people. So um, without further ado, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. And we're going to be in chapter 1. So in uh, 2 Thessalonians, we are going to continue to look at the prayers of Paul. We're continuing our series on the prayers of Paul. And so in this, we're going to get to learn about why Paul prays. For this specific group of people, how he prays, and how this can teach us to pray. And so before we get into uh, the scripture, I just want to give some context about uh, the book of Thessalonians and the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians, which we'll be in. So Thessalonica... Um, was a prominent city in Macedonia. And Paul and Silas had traveled to Thessalonica from Philippi on Paul's second missionary journey. And they were going to preach the good news about Jesus. They were going to preach the gospel to these people. And Paul spends about three weeks in Thessalonica um, And if you know anything about Paul and his journey, I mean, we read through Acts, and we saw time after time Paul would go and teach. He would go and preach the gospel and share about Jesus, and people did not like it. Um, They were angry, and they would stone him and put him in jail. And so this is the—he experiences this in Thessalonica as well. So he goes to Thessalonica for three weeks and teaches, but the Jews didn't agree with him. And so they drove him out of the city. But some Jews believed. And so this was the beginning of the church at Thessalonica. Just from a few people that believed in Jesus that started a church in this city. And so not long after Paul's journey to Thessalonica, he wrote to the Thessalonians in two letters. We have 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And so Paul writes to this church because he deeply cares for the people. Paul goes for only 3 weeks and teaches these people and tells them about Jesus. 3 weeks is not a long time. And so he leaves and gets driven out of the city. But Paul says, I'm going to write to these people because I care deeply about them and I want to encourage them in the faith. He wants to he wanted to encourage them in the midst of persecution. He wanted to address their worries about Jesus' second coming and address problematic behavior between the group. So, now that we understand why we're reading in this book, and why we understand why Paul is even writing to these people, we're going to look at the last two verses in chapter 1. So, in chapter 1, before we dive into those, Paul writes to the Thessalonians about godly character. And he's writing to them about Godly character in the midst of persecution because he wants to encourage them and he wants to pray for them that they would not lose hope. And so Paul begins this letter by thanking God for them and for the work that God has done. And then Paul goes to talk about, he addresses their persecution and he talks about God's justice. He touches on God's justice and his righteousness and how God will repay all evil, either at the cross or eternity. In the wrath of God, in hell. And those are not my words. That is not my interpretation. That is literally what Paul says in chapter 1 in those first 10 verses. And so he says it pretty straightforward. And if we look at Paul's writing, he's pretty straightforward and calls people out for their, for their stuff. And so he's going to say it straightforward that God will, that evil will be dealt with. And so then we see Paul praying at the end of this chapter. And so if y'all want to look at the verses 11 and 12, these are the verses that we're going to be um, focusing on today. So if y'all want to just read with me 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, and 12. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So after reading this, if you're anything like me, I read it and I said, okay, Paul, that's really encouraging. What are you saying? (laughs) Like, Paul, and I mean, we can laugh about it. Like, I literally read it, and I told John this. I read it and I said, I don't really understand what you're saying, Paul. Like, you write so, he writes so poetically and he writes in these long run-on sentences. Like, this is a whole, these two verses are, there's not one period until the end of the chapter. And so, I was like, what, what is he saying? But, don't worry, we're going to find out what Paul is talking about in these verses, okay? And there's a lot here in just two verses, so again, Paul prays for these people because he deeply cares about them. And because he left quickly, he just wanted to write to them and share with them how he prays for them. And so how does Paul pray for the people? Well, he prays three specific things for the Thessalonians. And it's just in verse 11 that we see what he's praying. That the Thessalonians would be made worthy of the calling of Jesus Jesus. And that every good resolve would be fulfilled. And that every work of faith would be fulfilled by God's power. So he prays specifically. Paul shares with them that they're prayed for. We look at the first half of verse 11. He says, to this end, we always pray for you. So Paul is telling them, I, my, like myself, Timothy, Silas, we are praying for you. Has your friend ever told you, hey, like, I'm praying for you? I'm praying for that thing. Maybe the thing that, like, is really, really hard for you, and your friend comes up to you and says, hey, I'm praying for you. I've, like, been thinking about you a lot. How does that make you feel? Like, cared for, right? And so Paul is telling them, like, hey, we are praying for you guys. And that shows his care for them. That in the midst of their persecution, they needed prayer. And so Paul assures them that they, they are prayed for. And then Paul prays that they would be made worthy of the calling. So what does it mean? How can we be made worthy of the calling of Jesus? And this can look like a few different things. First, to be made worthy of the calling of Jesus, we have to know him personally. We have to have personal relationship with Jesus. The thing is, is that we are unworthy. Like, we are unworthy on our own. We have been born into sin, which has separated us from God. We are, when we are born, we are sinful, inherently sinful. And so, because we're born into sin, we cannot have relationship with God, but Jesus. But because of the work of the cross, of Jesus' work on the cross, we can now live in relationship with God again. Praise God, glory, amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) And so, but the thing is, is that, like, we have the opportunity for relationship with God through Jesus. But we have to choose that. We have to choose relationship with Jesus. And so what does that look like? You may have heard it, the ABCs, or maybe in some different other way. But that's my favorite part, the, the, my favorite way to, to share. How do you have a relationship with Jesus? You have to admit that you're a sinner. A stands for admit. You have to admit that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a Savior. And you have to repent of your sins. And you believe. B is believe. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins. And C is confess. Confess confess. Faith in Jesus as Lord and as Savior. And that is how we are saved. When we do these three things, we are saved and have salvation in Jesus. And so the only way that we can be made worthy, the only way we can belong to the family of God is through the person of Jesus, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. There is no other way. There is no other way to God. The only way is through relationship with Jesus. There's no other way to a life that is abundant. There's no other way to eternal life than personal relationship with Jesus. And in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father Except through me, so we see it right there that the only way we can be made worthy is through Jesus, and that is our hope that because we are separated from God, that like we can have relationship with God again through jesus and yesterday, if I know there were some ladies that went to if gathering, um, and so yesterday there was a speaker, um, and she had talked about john fourteen six and she I just really loved the way that she put this, that she said, Jesus didn't say that I am one of the ways or like I am one of the truths or I'm one way to life. He says, no, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And so The good news is, is that if we are believers in Christ, if we have laid our lives down before God fully, that we are made worthy of the calling. We are made worthy of the calling of Jesus. And so as a result of that relationship with Jesus, that should overflow into the different areas of our lives. And so Paul is praying, okay, so there are believers in Thessalonica, and so Paul is praying for them. Like, yes, you would be made worthy of the calling through Jesus, but not just that. But that you would live as if you are worthy of the calling. And so what does that mean? How do we live our lives worthy of the calling? We live our lives in a way that shows that we belong to the family of God. Our behaviors our lifestyle patterns, our desires, every single thing about us is no longer to glorify self, but it is to glorify God. That is a way that we live worthy of the calling. And so examples of this are evident in our life that we love God. Is it evident in your life that you love God? Do you desire every part of your life to glorify him? Do you walk in obedience when God asks you to do something, even though it might be really hard? Do you love your neighbor more than yourself? And does your life bear the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, through 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is the fruit of your life, evident of those things. Because those are the way that we live as if we are worthy of the calling, that we live as children of God when we accept Jesus into our hearts. And so on the other side of that, what does it look like to not live a life that's worthy of the calling? Well, I would say this was my life before knowing Jesus. The fruits of my life that were glorifying to myself, that I denied that I was sinful and that I was not in need of God. I was actively walking in disobedience to what God had asked of me. And that can be something specific that like God speaks straight to you and you hear him say it and you say, nope, nope, I'm not doing that. That's too hard. You're asking too much. Or it's like what scripture has commanded us to do. And we're actively walking in disobedience to that. Acting out of selfish ambition to glorify self and to get what you want. And so here's the thing. Is that we're making this. We're making this. uh, What's the word I'm trying to think of? Just like this putting these two things against each other. of like, what does it look like to live a life that's not worthy and a life that is worthy? My life before I knew Jesus was selfish. I was chasing after everything possible to glorify myself, to make myself feel better, to fulfill every desire that I had that was not within the will of God. My life was living in opposition to God. But then... I came to salvation in Jesus and my whole life changed. And now it's evident that I have that I'm made worthy of the calling. My life is now, and you know, we're not perfect. There are moments <laughs> when we act out of selfish ambition. There are moments when we act out of our emotions, and that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm talking about directly right now. But like My life did a full 180. I was walking this way and went this way. I, like, now am walking in this way that leads to life abundant, that has led, will lead to eternal life, that has led to relationship with Jesus. And it's a life that is laid down before God, that is obedient to God, that is like, okay, if I really, even though I really don't want to do this, I'm going to do it anyway because you've asked that of me. And I know that you're good. And that is not to say that I am like the perfect Christian, because I'm definitely not. That is just to say that our lives are to be lived as if we are worthy of the calling. Jesus has died for your sins. You now get to live in relationship with God because of him. Let's act like it. Let's act like it. And so another question may be, can someone have relationship with God and act in a way that's unworthy of the calling? Yeah. Guilty. Anybody else? Anybody else? Guilty. When I act out of my emotions and I'm really frustrated and angry? When I'm really frustrated at a person and then I start gossiping about them? Anybody else? I can't be the only one. Yeah, some head nods. All right. Girls in the bag. I see y'all. I'm selfish. I can be really selfish. How about thinking an ugly thought about somebody? Not just like saying something ugly to them, but you're like. (laughs) Like, oh, man, I wish I could tell you. But like even that. Do we see what's going on here? they like, we are to live like we're worthy of the calling. And sometimes we act like we're not. Sometimes we act like we're entitled. But then sometimes we walk around like we got shackles around our feet. No, if you're a child of God, those are gone. Let's start acting like it. Let's start living like it. That's what Paul is praying for these people. Live like you're worthy of the calling. Because you are, through Jesus, you've been made worthy. Act like it. Live like it. And he's not saying, like, do this, but he's saying, like, no, like, do this. This is good, good news. And it's good news for them and good news for us. Praise God. Okay. (laughs) God gives us a high calling. We're called with a high and holy calling to his kingdom and to his glory. He doesn't want us to settle for anything less than that. He desires for us to live in relationship with him and walk in a way that is abundant in the ways that Jesus did, in the ways that he commanded. It's really sweet that Paul is praying this for them. He wants their lives to be reflective of relationship with Jesus and that they would bear the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, now the second half of verse 11, Paul continues to pray for them. What does he pray? He prays that God would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Now, again, if you look at that and you're like, "Mm, what does that mean? What's every resolve of good? What does that mean? Every work of faith by his power. I think I know what that means, but I'm not sure. Now we're going to look at it. I'm just trying to be funny. Y'all can laugh at me. (laughs) Lighten up. Got a little excited there for a second. Okay. So what is Paul praying exactly in the second half of verse 11? He says that God would fulfill every resolve for good. Paul's praying that God would fulfill every good desire that the Thessalonians have. Now, when I think of my good desires or my desires they're not always good. Sometimes I think that they're really good, and I think that they would be really great, when in reality, like, they're probably a little selfish. There are, like, moments when that happens, and so the important thing to know is that our version of good is skewed. We don't have the full understanding of what good is. Only God does. His version of goodness is perfect, and so Paul isn't praying that every single thing that the Thessalonians think is good would come to be. He's praying that God's version of goodness, which is perfect, would come to be in their lives. That every good, godly, given desire that they've been given would come to be. How I think about this in my own life. I mean, God gives us desires, he gives us desires in our heart. A desire of mine is to be a nurse. And glory to God, I graduated in December and I'm a nurse now. (laughs) But like, that was a desire that God gave me. And now I get to walk in the reality of that. That is what Paul is praying, that every good desire in the Thessalonians would be fulfilled. And so like, Praying the prayer in my life, God, would you let me be a nurse? You've given me this desire to care for people. And he did. And so that's what Paul is praying for them. He's not praying that, oh, yeah, I really think Jimmy John is really cute and, like, you know, I'd love to date him. Well, Jimmy John might not be that good for you. And so it's not like God's going to fulfill every single thing that we want and desire. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, come back, come back. But that's not what Paul is praying. Paul is not praying that everything that we want and desire within us would come to be. He's praying that the good, life-giving things would come to be. And so we need to think about what God's goodness would look like. Philippians 4.8. I'm not going to, like, read the verse, but I'm going to tell you what it says. It says, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to think of and to dwell on the things that are true, the things that are honorable, the things that are just, the things that are pure, the things that are lovely, the things that are commendable, the things that are evident of excellence, and the things that are worthy of praise. That is what God's goodness looks like when we see it through the lens of God's goodness, his perfect goodness, our desires change. My selfish desires have changed in my life. And we need to be okay with change. We need to be okay that we can lay down our desires that we really, really want and say, Okay, God, if your will would be done, which is a scary prayer to pray. That's really scary, because sometimes we really, really want something that we think is really, really good, and it's not. And we have to go before the Lord and say, God, like, this is a desire that I have. Like, would it come to be if it's your will? And then I also think of when things happen, like when God does answer a prayer, but it looks different than what we expected it to. And we, like, say the phrase, uh, you know, God, like... I don't understand why this happened, but I know that you're good. Like, has anyone said that before? Yeah. Like, I don't understand why you let this happen, but I know that you're good. Like, that's what we're talking about, is that, like, not everything within us would be fulfilled. That's what Paul is praying, that, like, God gives you desires, and I pray that they would be fulfilled. And the thing is, is that, like, God gives us, us desires that we can enjoy. Like, that is sweet. Like, yes, laying down our own, like, selfish desires is really hard. But also when God gives you a desire within you and then you see him fulfill it, it's really sweet. It's really sweet. I have the desire to work in ministry, too. And I get the joy of getting to be a college armor bearer at the same time that I get to work as a part-time nurse. And that is really sweet. God has given me that desire and has fulfilled it. And I'm not up here saying my life is greater because God has fulfilled these desires in me. I'm just saying that's evidence of who he is, that he wants to fulfill those God-given desires within us. And so that's what Paul prays, would those be fulfilled in your life? Okay, and then Paul prays in the second half of, or the other half of verse 11, the very end of it. And he says, in every work of faith by his power, that God would fulfill Every work of faith by his power. Paul prays that the Thessalonians would live by acts of faith and see God's power on display. What is faith? Faith is having hope or belief in the things that are unseen. We don't see God, but we believe in him. We, ha- we didn't walk with Jesus in the flesh, but we believe in him and we believe in what he did on the cross. And so that is faith. That is like the basis of our faith. But what does it look like to walk in faith? Well, it's the same thing. It's God asking us to do things and stepping out in obedience regardless of knowing the result. Of Okay, God, you asked me to do this or you asked me to give this up. And I really don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do it anyway. Have you ever had to do that before? Yeah. That's what Paul prays for them, that they would walk in obedience and step out in faith. And then as a result of that obedience and stepping out in faith, that he would, they would see God's power through that. He prays this because he wants them to have a deep trust in God, regardless of being able to see. And so how can we pray this? How can we pray that every work of faith would be fulfilled by his power? For this, for me, this looked like what came after graduation. What came after Armor Bear? Praying and asking God, okay, where do you want to send me? I didn't really have a plan. I didn't really know where I was going to go. I didn't know how ministry and being a nurse were going to fit together. But God had given me those desires And I asked him what did he want me to do, and he led me to New York City. He asked me to move there and to be a part of what he's doing there and get to work as a nurse and get to work in ministry and get to serve him and share the gospel with people. And although it is really exciting and fun to think about, I'm pumped, like it's going to be so great, but also like the hard part of it, I've lived in Texas for the last 22 years of my life, I've lived in Nacogdoches for the last five years of my life, where community has ran really deep, and my relationship with God has grown more than ever, and not to mention that like I have to leave my whole family, Obedience is hard. There's a hard part to obedience, but it's so worth it. And so I know that when I go and I move up there in August, that it's going to be hard, and I'm going to struggle, and I'm probably going to be lonely. But I know that because of the good God that I serve, that he is going to fulfill every desire that he's given inside of me, that my life will be centered around his mission, and that I will see his power on display through that. Amen. Thanks, Sam. And so think about it. What would it look like for you to pray this? To do the really hard, uncomfortable thing? Giving up your summer missions. It could be staying in your major even though it's really hard and you don't want to go to class. Or it could be changing your major too, you know, like (laughs) either one, whichever way God is (laughs) leading you. It could be finally having that gospel conversation with the person that sits next to you in that class that God has been asking you to do all semester long. It could be letting go of a relationship that God has asked you to give up. It could be having a really hard conversation with a friend that you've been needing to have for a while now. Or it could be placing your faith in Jesus for the very first time. And you're scared about what it would look like to lay down your whole life before him. See, obedience and faith, like, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what God is asking of you, but we can acknowledge that obedience can be really hard. Can we acknowledge that? <laughs> and when God asks us to give things up for him, it's really hard. But the result of that obedience is to watch God work and to watch his power be displayed. And for you to look more like Jesus because of that. And so, Paul prays, these three things, that they would be made worthy of the calling, that every good resolve would be fulfilled, and that every work of faith would be fulfilled by his power. And then Paul prays in verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prays these three things, and then he says, so that, so these three things being fulfilled, so that God would be glorified. It's not about us, and it's never been about us, but he prays these three things for the Thessalonians would come to be so that God would be magnified. That they would see the glory of God and how good he is. And then it says, Paul says, in you, in him, that we would be glorified in God. Huh? But according to the grace of God, that we would be glorified in God by his grace. By the grace of our God and the grace of the Lord Jesus. So this is the result of fulfilling God's calling and purpose for our lives that he would be glorified. He prays that these things would happen, but so that God would be glorified and it would be by his grace that these good works, these good things that happen, these prayers that are being fulfilled would not be glorifying to us, but to Jesus. And so I want you to think about what would it look like for you to pray these three things over your life? What is it? What, ask God, what has this looked like in my life? How have you done this in my life? How, how could you do this in my life? I don't really know if you've ever done this. I don't really know what that would look like. But can you show me? Can you show me how I can live worthy of the calling? Can you show me? the desires that you've given me, and would you fulfill them? And can you show me how to live by acts of faith so I can see your power on display and so that my life would be glorifying to you, not to myself? That's what that prayer looks like. So are you willing to pray the prayer? Are you willing to pray that prayer to do the scary thing? It can be big things that happen in your life. This could look like big things. For me, I'm moving to a whole different state thousands of miles away. And you may be like, well, I'm not moving to a whole different state. I still have three years of college left. Okay, but what what about the small things in your life? Okay, I go to work every day, and I work as a nurse. Again, fulfilling the desire that God's given me. Praise God. But some days I work really hard. When I'm, like, stressed out or overwhelmed. And it would be really easy for me to act out of that emotion and get frustrated with a coworker, But, like, choosing to not act out of emotion is, like, showing that I'm living worthy of the calling. Or just, like, not gossiping with, like, the people at your workplace or the people in class or the people in your friend group. Like, that's a small everyday example that we can live out. Like, I have to choose to not, like, speak illy of somebody when other people are. To show that I'm, like, there's something different inside of me. There's a, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. And I'm going to choose to not speak illy of somebody. So that God is glorified. And my life is evident that I'm living worthy of the calling of Jesus. And so ask God to show you how to pray this in your own life. But also ask God to show you who to pray this for. Who in your life can you pray this prayer for? We can learn how to pray for our friends. We can learn how to pray for our people in Revive and our college ministry. We can learn how to pray for our family. We can learn how to pray for our classmates. We can learn how to pray for coworkers. It's not just a prayer we pray for ourselves, but for other people. And that's what Paul did. And he prayed these things for a people he deeply cared about. Can we go back to that, that Paul deeply cared for these people? Who do you deeply care for? And who can you pray this over that you deeply care for? Pray that they'd be made worthy of the calling that their life would be evident of the mission of God. Pray that the desires that God gives them would come to be, and they would live joyfully in that. And pray that they live by acts of faith and watch God's power. And then pray that those three things would happen so that our God can be glorified. So that his name will be made great. And that we would boast, not in ourselves and in our own lives, but we could boast in him as a result of those things happening. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Well, Father, I just thank you so much for today. Thank you. For a passage of scripture that by first glance can be really hard to understand. But thank you for understanding and for knowledge of your scriptures. And God, I just pray that there would be understanding and knowledge of the scripture in all of us. God, I pray that these words that Paul has written would sink deep into our hearts Would it be rooted deeply in us that we would pray these prayers for ourselves, but not just for ourselves, but for our people around us, God? Would our lives, would our friends' lives, would our coworkers' lives, would our family members' lives be centered around the mission of God? Would the desires that you put inside of us, that we love and enjoy Would they be fulfilled? And God, would we act in faith? Would we live in faith? Would we walk in obedience? Would we pray that our friends would walk in obedience? So that your name can be magnified and not ourselves. Father, I just pray that the people in this room... Would they live like they're worthy of the calling of Jesus? God, would we walk in that calling and walk as we're worthy of the calling? And God, if there's anybody in here that does not know you and has not been made worthy through relationship with Jesus, God, I just pray that that would happen. God, would that happen in their lives? Would their heart be penetrated by your word and the truth of who you are, God? And would they see your goodness? And would they want to walk in that? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the different ways that you're using our team. And thank you for the opportunity to come up here and teach um, with these people. God, it's a gift that you've given me. It's an honor to be up here. Lord Jesus, would your name be glorified. It's in your name we pray. Amen.